0: Okay, man, don't we want to thank the Lord and praise him for the country that we live in? God has blessed our country beyond belief, and we are so blessed to live in the United States of America. If you were not born in the United States of America, maybe you lived a portion of your life overseas. Maybe you were in the military and you spent time in another country. Maybe you've gone on a short-term mission trip. And you've been in a place that's far different than the United States of America. I remember when I was in Cuba and I spent some time down in Cuba and got the opportunity to rub shoulders with men who, and women who had been persecuted, literally persecuted, gone to prison because of their testimony of Jesus Christ. And the cost that went with standing up for the gospel. We are so blessed to live in this country. You know, America obviously has many warts and many pimples, and it always has. And America, sadly, um, has embraced many blasphemous perversions, and things are going on in our country that move us to, to grief as believers. We need to pray for our country, but we are still grateful. You know, there are many things going on in our community over the next few days. Hope you can be involved, you know, go to parades. We, we were talking about that. You know, we are really the only nation in America that when it holds a parade, it's not the government that puts on the parade, right? It's not just like nuclear bombs and tanks and everything else going down the street and everybody standing there, you know, you know, giving thumbs up to the big wig in the platform. You know, what do we do? The people go on display and show what God has done. And we have floats and everything else to celebrate uh, what God has done. You know, the first flag in the United States of America was not Old glory, was it? That was, that was the Betsy Ross flag came a little bit later, but the first flag in the United States of America was this flag. Somebody somebody in our church actually gave me a copy of it. It's called, it's, it's the evergreen flag, obviously, and it says what? Appeal to heaven. This is a flag that they carried at Lexington and Concord, the appeal to heaven flag. And you know what that means, the appeal to heaven was basically a statement that came from the concept that when two entities governing authorities were so at odds that they could not rectify and deal with the disagreement between them. Then they understood that they would take it out on a field of battle. And in that battle, And in the course of events that came from that battle, heaven would decide the issue. It was an appeal to heaven. And so the call to arms was literally understood in the days of the founding of our nation as an appeal to heaven to decide the issue. Should the colonists be free, an independent nation, or should they remain under the UK? And so they appealed to heaven. It's a great flag. Shows our heritage. And we should always appeal to heaven. And I'm not saying to take up arms. That's not what I mean by that. But we should understand that our appeal as Christians is not just to a higher court, to the Supreme Court. It's not ultimately just an election. We appeal to the God of the universe, that he would intervene in our country to change the course of events. And so that's our prayer. We're going to celebrate the Lord's table. Before we do that, I want to mention just a couple of other things. Uh, that are both praises and prayer requests. You know, one of the great praises, and maybe you saw this, was, I guess it was on Friday, the Supreme Court ruled um, in favor of free speech and religious expression. And what a great ruling that was. I I hope you read some on it. Um, The the young lady that's a web designer from Colorado won her case. And um, the understanding that the court had of the importance of free expression of religious belief and conviction it was a tremendous ruling we can thank the Lord for that Um, that that was very important John chapter 5 today John chapter 5 verse 30 to 46 let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer then we're going to jump right in the text Thank you, Lord, for the power of the cross. That in the cross, the very power of God is displayed from faith to faith. Lord, make my words swift and give me clarity today. By your Spirit, I pray that you would touch our hearts and move our minds That you would mold our wills, that you would overcome our own individual latent depravity. That your spirit may draw us to yourself, that Christ may be glorified. So we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if this is the first time with us, you're jumping into a passage that we've been studying for several weeks. So we're looking at John chapter 5, we're working through the book of John. And John chapter 5 is one of the miracles of Jesus that is a sign that he is the Messiah. John says later in the book, these things are written that we may know, that we may believe that he is the Messiah, the Christ, the son of the living God. So this is one of the miracles that Jesus did. It was by the pool of Bethesda where Jesus heals a man who has been an invalid for 38 years. Jesus told the man to get up, to take his bed, and to walk. And it is the Sabbath day. And because of that, when the Jewish leaders see this man carrying his pallet, his bed, on the Sabbath day, they lose it. What are you doing? I'm carrying this because the man who healed me told me to carry it. And Jesus is beginning to be persecuted as a result of that. After the event, Jesus gives an apologetic to the Jewish leaders for what he did. Now, when you hear the word apologetic, if you put it into the vernacular today, the, day, the way we think, and you think of the word apologize, Jesus does not apologize for healing the guy in the Sabbath. No, in fact, he asserts his right to have done so as the son co-equal with the father from all eternity. But an apologetic simply means a defense. And so in the discourse that we are now studying, Jesus explains to the Jewish leaders why he did what he did. We began that apologetic last week, and as a part of that apologetic, Jesus said of his Father that his Father God was his own Father and he made himself equal to God. And we see in this text that Jesus is equal with the Father in person and in work. Now, having begun it, And with limited time today, because of everything else that's been going on, we're not going to go back and do any more review. We're going to simply pick up in verse 30 where we left off last week, and we're going to read to the end of the chapter. To save time, as I'm reading, I'm going to interject some thinking. So I'm going to be reading and then I'm going to say something that's going to call you back to me. And then we'll jump into the main point of the message. So as we're reading, we're going to take a little bit more time than normal to read, because I want you to get some things and some thinking that's in this. And I know we're not going to study this comprehensively today, and we'll finish it next week. But there are some very key concepts that we want to look at today. And I want to do so succinctly so that you understand what Jesus is getting at in what he says here. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And then this statement is going to form the key component of the message today. My judgment is just. Now notice that statement. The word just means right. My judgment, what I decide, is right. Now you and I make decisions and you and I decide things. Because you are a fallen human being, you do not always decide to do the right thing. But Jesus always does what is right. My judgment is just. And then the word because. Why is his judgment just? Because I don't seek my own will. I am seeking the will of my Father. If I alone am bearing witness about myself, in other words, what Jesus is saying is here, if I'm the only one or the only thing that is testifying to you that I am God come in the flesh, then what I'm saying is not true. Right? You ever met some? Or you, you know, you're going through the airport, somebody's carrying, you know, a flower, or got it stuck behind their ear, they got a white toga on, and they're walking around kind of high on LSD. I'm God. You just keep on going, right? You don't put any money into their plate. Why? Because what they're saying about themselves, you know, is not true. So what Jesus is basically getting at here is this. He's saying, if I am the only one who is bearing testimony about myself, then my testimony is not true. Just disregard it. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he is bearing about me is true. You sent to John. You take notes, put a number one there. This is the first testimony. You sent to John. He bore witness to the truth. Not that the testimony I receive is from man, but I say these things so you may be saved. Now, I want you to notice that statement for a minute. We don't got a lot of time to deal with it. What is Jesus saying here? What does he want to happen to these Jewish leaders? What is his desire for them? Why is he here? That they might be saved. He's saying to them, all of this is happening. Not because I came to judge you. The reason this is happening and the reason I am doing these things is that you might be saved. Does that mean they will be saved? Not all of them. But his sincere, genuine desire in coming is to save men. And so he says to these people who are hating him and are beginning to persecute you or persecute him, he says, I am saying this so you may be saved. And then he says of John, he was a burning and a shining lamp. And you were willing. Notice that word, willing. You were willing. Willing to rejoice or to exalt for an hour. That's the Greek word there that's translated for a while. For an hour in his light. The testimony that I have is greater than that of John. And then put a number two here. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish the very works that I am doing, they also bear witness about me that the Father sent me. And then put number three by the next one, and the Father who sent me, He also bore witness about me, His voice you have not heard, His form you have never seen. Now how did the Father bear witness? The baptism? There was a voice from heaven, said what? This is my beloved son. Hear him. So why does Jesus then say his voice you've never heard? Well, it's this. It's not that they didn't hear it. It's that they didn't hear it. Right? We talked about that last week at Cowboy Church. It's not that they didn't hear it. They heard it. They heard a voice from heaven. This is my beloved son. Hear him. But they didn't hear it. His voice you've never heard number three the father himself bore witness about me and then he says in verse 38 and you do not have his word abiding in you for you do not believe the one whom he has sent and then put by verse 39 the number four you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me yet and then notice verse 40 despite all of this Despite all of these testimonies, despite all of this evidence, you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Jesus said, I want to save you, but you refuse. You turn your back on it. You refuse to come to me that, I may ha- that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people. I know you do not have the love of God within you. I've come in my Father's name, you did not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe? Notice this. When you are trying to receive glory from one another and you will not seek the glory that comes from the only God. What is he saying as a part of faith? Seeking the glory of God. That if we really are seeking the glory of God, that's going to lay a foundation in our life for faith says, you won't believe because you're not seeking the glory of God. You're just seeking the glory that comes from each other when you pat each other on the back. Do not think I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings... How will you believe my words? Now let's run through this really quick. We're talking about decisions. And this is the fundamental part of the message. Right here. Jesus always does what is right. Always. There's never been a time when Jesus did the wrong thing. He says what? I am just. My judgment Is just. Jesus always does what is right. When we think about the word just, we are talking about this. When we think about justice, this is what justice is it is doing the right thing, the right way, for the right reason. Justice truly is doing the right thing. But it's not only doing the right thing. It is doing the right thing the right way. And for the right reason. That's real justice. And you know who is always just? Jesus. He always does the right thing the right way for the right reason. Now, we live in a world that is full of injustice, don't we? It's full of injustice. This is one of the things that's just... Taking America by storm is this social justice movement in America and all the wrestling with that, what it means, what it looks like, what is justice, how can justice be done. And we could really go down a rabbit trail into that issue this morning. But you know, we understand intuitively that we do live in a world of injustice where many times the right thing is not done. And maybe you've been the recipient of that at some time a real injustice and then we ask ourselves well how can I trust anything you know so that brings us to an issue you know can I really trust when all I know by experience many times is injustice you know can we really trust that God is just now I have to say this I've been blessed. I'm not gonna say white privilege. But I am gonna say blessed. Beyond belief. Have there things happened in my life that I would say are injustices? Yeah. But by and large, my life. I have seen tremendous blessing. And most of us have. That's not true of everybody in the world. I'm reading a book right now about a guy that was in Poland in the late 30s and into the 40s. And he went to Auschwitz. I'm going to tell that story sometime because it's, a, it's an amazing story about a guy who volunteered himself to the Polish resistance to go to Auschwitz to try to raise resistance cells within the camp. Now think about that. He has a wife and kids. And he says, I will go into Auschwitz and try to lead a rebellion. Crazy story. But You want to talk about injustice? That was a hell hole. Could we see injustice someday beyond our ability to understand and really maybe deal with? We could. It really is God's grace that keeps us where we are in this country right now. But can I trust that God is just, especially when I live in a situation where all I see is injustice? How do I know He is? Now, the Scripture testifies this. The judgments of the Lord are right. That is the testimony of Scripture and it consistently says that. Now, When we talk about the word judgment, we are talking about a very broad concept. A formal definition of the word to judge or a judgment would be to render a verdict, right? That's the judgment. A verdict is rendered. In an informal sense, we're talking about a word which means to choose or to decide, to make a decision. So, we could say, when we're thinking about making a decision, we would say sometimes, some people have good judgment and some people have what? Bad judgment. You know, some people, they're just always, always like, really? Some people, man, they just always seem to get it right. They just got really good judgment. You know, like I said, if you go up to Yellowstone, it's not good judgment to pet a buffalo. That is not on the hierarchy of, of uh, things to do that will, well, you know what? My dad used to say it this way, if you're going to be dumb, you better be tough. <laughs> so you got bad judgment, have at her. OK, types of judgment, let's think about it this way. There are necessary judgments we make. These are just empirically established facts. Now, people in our country today may say, no, that's not true. But there are some things that are true because they're true, right? So two plus two equals, ah, amen. We got her. Two plus two equals, that's an empirically established fact. I could put two apples here and two apples here. And I could say, if I take these two apples and I add these two apples to it, how many do I have? I got four apples. That is an empirically established fact. It is a necessary judgment. There are also contingent judgments. Now, these are just things that are determined by who I am as an individual. So these are decisions I make. Like, for instance, in my judgment, I would rather eat Mexican than Chinese. That's just my judgment. I don't like cats. I mean, cats are okay. I just don't like to eat them. Okay? So, that's a contingent judgment. Nobody don't walk out. Especially if you own a Chinese restaurant. Okay. There are moral judgments. These are ethical choices. Right? They are decisions we make and you make them every day. They are not contingent judgments that it's just like what you want to do and what your preference is. This is like a moral judgment. Now, our country's getting this really screwed up because now a contingent judgment is, well, if I go into a, uh, you know, a convenience store in California and I just want that Twinkie, it should be mine to take because I got an appetite for it. No, that's a moral judgment, my friend. If I take that, what did I do? I stole it is an ethical choice. There are also pragmatic judgments that we make, and I use the word pragmatic to just define this. You know, these are things where we just kind of weigh a positive and a negative. And we make a decision based on wisdom. Correct? You're looking at an issue in your life and you're saying, well, these are the good points on that and this are the bad things, and what should I do? You try to weigh that out, and it's kind of a pragmatic decision. But it's a judgment that you have to make, correct? These are judgment calls. So there are necessary judgments, they're just empirically established. They're content- you know, necessary judgment, you go jump off this building, you are not going to fly. The necessary implication, the consequence of jumping off this building is you were going to crash and burn, and we're going to take you to the ER. And if you try to live against that empirically established fact, Life is going to stab you in the face. There are contingent judgments. There are moral dilemmas that we face. And there are pragmatic judgments. And all of these things factor into decision making in our life. Now, it's important we think about that in relationship to what we're reading in the text. There's also another word here witness and testimony. Jesus talks about things that are bearing witness and testifying to who He is. This word is directly related to the word judgment. In other words, the decisions we make are based on what? Testimony. It could be the testimony of experience. So if I touch that burner and I'm a two year old, it's hot. And the testimony of experience tells me, don't do that again. I have a puppy, not a puppy anymore. When he was a puppy, his name is Ruger. A couple years ago, Ruger, when he was just a little puppy, one night we let him out to do their business and he ran up onto a skunk. And he didn't know what it was. And he got in the middle of that skunk and he got a lesson. Yesterday, no, not yesterday, Friday, I was fixing some irrigation water. And there's a lot of tall grass. And Ruger was with me. And there was a pole cap. And you know what Ruger did? He didn't get in the middle of that skunk. <laughs> he remembered. Why did he remember? Testimony of experience. He only had to do that thing once. And he learned his lesson. So when we talk about witness and testimony, we are things thinking of this. These... Witnesses and testimony form the basis of human judgment. They form the foundation. And from human judgment comes faith. How many of you ever met George Washington? So why do you believe he's the first president of the United States of America? Because credible evidence was given to you that testified that he was. And so because credible evidence was given to you that George Washington was the first president of the United States of America, you do what? You believe it. Now, I will say this. There is much false testimony be given to kids today that is causing them to believe things that are false. But witness and testimony is extremely powerful because it forms our decision making judgment capacity. The distortion of human judgment is a thing that we will call human depravity. My sinful nature. Now, What is the witness that God gave the Jews concerning Jesus? To help them decide who he is. In the text, we read this. Number one, he sent John the Baptist. Number two, Jesus' very works. He heals a man at the pool of Bethesda. And then he says, I'm going to do more things so that you will believe and you will be saved. But his very works are God's witness of who he is. It's evidence, right? John the Baptist is a part of the evidence that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus' works, is evidence, he is the Messiah. The Father's words are evidence he's the Messiah. The Scripture testifies Jesus is the Messiah. The Scripture said he would be born where? Bethlehem. Where was Jesus born? I think of all the prophecies. The scripture proves it is evidence. So these four things are evidence that testify that Jesus is the Messiah. Now think about this. These four evidences were more than sufficient to allow the Jewish nation to render the right verdict as to who Jesus is. He is the world's Messiah. Right? Those four things come from God as evidence to the Jewish people that Jesus is their Messiah and He is the Savior of the world. That's enough evidence. And what did Jesus say? you refuse. Did they have enough evidence? That's the point of the message. Did these people have enough evidence to conclude that Jesus is the Messiah? Yep. So why didn't they? Why did they crucify him? Why did they persecute him? There's something wrong inside you refuse you refuse you refuse to come to me that you might have life now what do we learn and then we close evidence alone is not enough to cause us to make right decisions right do you think anybody out there wonders if fentanyl can kill you do you think anybody does? Nah. But it won't happen to me, right? Won't happen to me. It'll happen to somebody else, but it won't happen to me. I can do that stuff. I can control it. Evidence never has been, never will be enough to cause us to make the right decision. Not alone. People do. Not Now, this is very important. People do not persist in unbelief merely because they don't have enough information. People do not reject Jesus simply because they don't know who he is and what he did. The Jewish leaders had it all. They have all the evidence they need. And what did they do? They refused. People do not persist in unbelief merely because they don't have enough information. Do they need evidence? Yes. But they need something more. Right? And if you were honest with me, you would say about yourself, you needed more. You needed more than just evidence. So what can we conclude? Jesus is always just. Now we're going to see when we get to chapter 6, what is it that we need? No man, Jesus says to me, no man will come to me unless the Father draws him. That's what we're going to see if you are here today and you have believed in Jesus it's not because you're so smart it's not because of evidence you know what it is because our heavenly father in his grace sent his spirit in a way to your heart that he drew you and you did not refuse him and there's no pride in that Only humility. Right? No one's going to boast. We are saved by grace through faith. But we can conclude Jesus is just. Jesus gave them everything they needed to conclude he is our Messiah. And what did they do? They refused him. So when he judged them, was he unjust? No. Jesus is always just. I will tell you, friend, not a one of us who is here today will stand before the judgment bar of God when he renders a verdict. And you will have the capability to point your finger at him and say you are unjust. No, we will fall to our knees and confess he is Lord. He always does what is right. Let's pray. Thank you for your word and your truth. Lord, it smacks us in the face. Because we see ourselves in it. Lord, I understand. I know that apart from your spirit, there was no evidence that came my way about Jesus that would have convinced me. Because in the end, I was recalcitrant and rebellious and refusing of your grace until your spirit smote me. And I pray that your spirit would quicken those among us today who have never come to the cross. Because, Lord, as we read in the text, you came to save. And so we pray you would do it. In Jesus' name.